Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Nathan Sorone. And I'm Alex Coos. Happy New Year. Today, I'm here with Nathan Sorone to talk to him about his impressive and quite frankly, staggering painting accomplishment for 2022. Nathan has painted over 30,000 points of Kings of War miniatures across 13 separate armies, which is just boggles the mind. I don't even know what I just said. We're going to delve into the depths of the mind of this madman today, and we're going to figure out what inspires someone to accomplish this. Normally, right now, we're going to we would talk about our hobbying, yep. which uh, seems like what that's all... I can only imagine that's all Nathan does. So I mean, I'm going to be starting on another army later today for next tournament next weekend. I've started one unit for goblins. Got to finish it. All right. So Nathan, you're working on goblins. Yeah, we're working on goblins. I'm trying something a little different, going for like more OSL heavy, kind of like I did for the ogres, which I can talk about. I want to do like a cave army. So like I have side walls printed for all the units. So they're going to be like going down the caves. And then all the lighting on the models will just be from torchbearers and stuff like that. And then OSL out from there. So the rest of the models will be fairly dark palette. Not a lot of shading because it's all supposed to be kind of pitch black like the caves. And then just the eyes lit up from there. Kind of pushing yourself down a different kind of... Yeah, it's still going to be a fairly simple scheme because I wanted first time trying it. And, you know, first time things don't always go well. But I think it'll be a visually interesting army. So That's something that you accomplish with all... Each army like looks different. Like you don't just have a look to your armies they don't all just like speed painted to like the same yeah i try to do something a little different there's uh, there's maybe a couple armies that fall in together but everything i usually try basically like one gimmick per army thing like whether it's color change paint or whether the base is a gimmick itself like the whole army fits together well basically one gimmick per army just to kind of set it apart so that way even if the other parts kind of fall short it still has its gimmick that pulls it together Right. And I guess when you're doing so many different ones, like you need something to keep yourself interested and like push yourself exactly. as a hobbyist, right? Yeah. Yeah. Listeners will know that I'm continuing to work work on my uh, League of Rordia. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I just made air quotes. 2025 goals? 2025 goals. No, I actually want to get that done for this summer and I'm, I'm actually making some progress. I'm, Good. I'm splitting my attention between a couple different games right now. I'm Ash Barker of Gorilla Miniatures Gaming is running an Infinity Tournament locally in at the end of January. So I, I will be taking part in that. So I'm doing some non-Kings of War stuff for Infinity right now, but I'm just kind of mixing that in with... Uh, I kind of want to make it down to Ash in the New Year for Kings after I properly read through the Red Book and make sure I've got to hold on all the withdraw changes and everything like that. So might be something fun there. So that'll be fun, but yeah, I'm just kind of kind of go back and forth painting wolves and cyberpunk stuff, nice. and then uh, eventually, I think I want to get. I, I put my orcs aside for now, but I want to get back to them eventually too. You know, it's been holidays, so it's kind of like a mixed bag of like extra time and no time. I've had a couple of days where I've done like a lot of hobbying, and then a bunch of days in between where nothing. So I'm trying to get into that new groove. Yeah, and it's. I mean, you got to do stuff where you can, but also you have to acknowledge that you can't do everything every day of the week. Because sometimes you need a break, and sometimes you need to actually go do social things and play yeah. games or be with your family, right? Yeah, kind of quote unquote. Luckily, our car broke down on Christmas Day, so we got to stay home for Christmas. So I got a little extra hobbying done. But <laughs> yeah, there you go. Get, get it where you can, right? For listeners at home, 
we've known each other for a little, over a year. Now. Yeah. How about you introduce yourself? Who you are, where you're from, what, what your gaming scene is like. Yeah, so I'm out from Belleville, which is about uh, three hours east of uh, Cambridge, where I am right now. I work in tool and die, so automotive sector, making dies for cars, uh, as much as that is right now. Kind of an up and down, you know, one day, one week you get microchips, the next week you don't, so they don't need any car parts. And basically that's about, you know, did college up here in the Cambridge area, and I've just stayed ever since. And I've kind of bounced around gaming stores for gaming, bounced around games itself. I've kind of done a little bit of everything. I uh, started back on 40k back in like ninth grade, started with Eldar. I think my first models were a Death Jester and the Wraith Lord because I just love the aesthetics of those two models and worked my way up from there, you know, very basic paint schemes. I think the only two colors I knew back then were black and red because you know, ninth grade, <laughs> simple colors, stuff like yeah. that. I just remember painting red as like, in those with those early Citadel paint sets was just such a frustrating yeah. experience. I did Chaos, so it was like black and oh. red too. So I was just like trying to paint red, the old like blood red on top of black undercoats or base coats. So I, I was lucky when I got in was just when the foundation paints had come out. So I had like the Malkite red, I think it was, which made it really easy to paint your blood red over top. Oh, nice. So I went from Eldar, then I went over to Fantasy for a little bit because I liked the look of High Elves. And then, of course, I only, again, I read Black, Gold, and Silver because I didn't want to paint anything else. And then, you know, I sold that army. And I've gone through a million armies for different games. I've done a little bit of Infinity. I've done Malifaux. I've done The Other Side. Uh, I've picked up some Lord of the Rings stuff. I've gone and many other games. Even in 40K, I've bought and sold the same army three times and painted it three different ways. Like Alpha Legion, I've done up with just a simple dry brush. I've done it up with like clears, so you have the uh, almost like the forge world look of like the clear green, clear blue transition, stuff like that. So it's kind of as I, I want to do a project, I pick it up and then see what happens. I keep it for a little while and then, okay, someone else can get more use out of this. Uh, even goblins, I know back when Age of Sigmar hit, so I never, I painted fantasy models, but I never got into actually playing the square base because it wasn't as big of a thing in our area. I just like the models for it. Then Age of Sigmar came out. I was up here in Cambridge. We had the Warhammer store. We actually have an actual one, Fairway Road. Got into Goblins there, played those for a little while. Got into the new army, um, the uh, new Undead Force, like all the Otarks, everything like that. Did those for a little while. Then got away from Age of Sigmar, then kind of stopped there for there was a little while where I wasn't really doing anything. And then we got to the pandemic, was laid off for a little while, a couple weeks. And me and a buddy, Mark, we've gaming together. We work at the same place together, so we're always talking about games. We got in, we decided Kings of War. We're like, okay, well, we can play this. And what easy thing is 3D printing. I've been 3D printing for a little while by that point. I did uh, Chaos Wars because that was one army I always wanted to do from Forge World that I never could quite afford because those models are a little bit more pricey because they are a higher detailed army. And then he wanted Salamanders, so we found some files. We started printing. We just started playing our games and go from there. And then... Last year, finally made it out to Black Knight Games for your, the, your first two-day. I think was also your second tournament back, because I think I met you. Actually, there was one tournament before where I brought some guys out to kind of see what the scene was like, see how many people were going, and then started going from there, and been painting a lot more ever since then. Yeah, it definitely helps keep you motivated when you have a good scene and i think one thing which surprised me coming out of the pandemic is how much our scene has grown like yeah, we had a it's... pretty good core coming into the pandemic and then we stayed tight and then i think we'll explore it a bit more you know different games during the pandemic or looked for options and we yeah. still had a pretty tight community so when we got back up up and running earlier this year or last year now having you guys come down and then you know some of the other you know local guys like just come out of the woodwork was really great because we were going from like 
eight to ten guys per twelve guys per tournament to like twenty, twenty two, twenty four, which is awesome. And it's just it's been good to see, and I'm sure that's motivating too. Yeah, it really is, and it's twenty guys at like a local tournament. Like for any other game, I've never really had that many. It's like those. The room is just invigorating with energy when you actually start playing. You got those twenty, twenty two guys. It's just. And awesome everyone's armies look great right everyone's having a good time you know when we started it was like steve and i and then matt langtree came out and then the mccready brothers came out and another mccready yep. brother came out and you know the mccready's just keep coming out of the, the clan <laughs> yeah the clan comes and then yeah you, know, you have your crew for up in cambridge which is great and i know some yep. of the you know ben comes over from mississauga and there's some other guys and yeah and he drags his jameses out and stuff like that so everyone has their little group and then we, you know, we all kind of like coalesce in Hamilton and it's just a really, it's nice to see because everyone has their own energy and their own take on the hobby and, and gaming. It's nice because you, if it's just a small group, it gets a little repetitive. You, you do this, he does that, that guy does that. And then everyone kind of just sticks to their thing. But when you see all these other ideas from all these other people, you get more ideas yourself and you're willing to like try different things too. Yep. 100%. You're up in Cambridge. Is there a gaming store up there? Yeah, so we have four. Cambridge is weird in that we have like seven different stores. Only a few of them have tables, but all of them don't have that many space. Uh, we have Forbes, which has three or four tables now. They have a decent set of terrain for uh, you can make do for fantasy. I know we were trying to maybe start running tournaments there in the new year, but there's also Chimera, which is into Kitchener, which has a little bit more space. So I got to try and figure out and see who actually has time to allow us who has their store availability like on Saturdays and stuff for tournaments and go from there and table requirements and whatnot. So I would like to try and run something out this way. Just to... But there's enough space for, you know, weekly gaming and stuff, which is nice. Yeah. A good place to start. And yeah, if we can get some events kind of spread out a little bit, definitely would help. We met at a tournament, you know, and that's kind of the driving force in our community is these low, is these one day tournaments that we have every month or so. But and you know, when we talk about that, it's like people sometimes have a little bit of a reaction. You're like, oh, I, I'm not a competitive player. I don't want to play in a tournament. I don't, you know, I just want to play and have fun. And I see one day tournaments as kind of just like a gaming day. Like it's just a way to yeah. hang out with everybody. It's it's a guaranteed three games. Yeah, so I'm going to pay my fifteen dollars, five bucks per game or whatever, and yeah. get lunch. So it doesn't even really cost you anything for the day because you're getting your lunch and you're going to go out. You're going to meet ten or twelve guys, have a good time, shoot the. Sh- like you normally maybe wouldn't do right text conversations don't always work the same as when you're in person you're all laughing together and it's just i get guaranteed three games if you're in the southern ontario area i would definitely recommend coming out to black knight games for our one days they're like low stakes it's like literally just like nathan said we're just there to play the game yes there's like a winner and a loser but you know every game but it doesn't really matter like most of the prizing is spread out we i usually do like counter charger wooden spoon and first place or get you know get prizing so that no matter where you're placing you're getting something and you know oftentimes we have raffles for like stuff from the store or you know 3d printed stuff from like you or Amon. you know yep. there's like just a really good social day as opposed to like a competitive cutthroat environment yeah, and I mean, even a good example, like talking talk about Eamon for a minute there, he's an awesome guy in every tournament. I think he's brought widgets and wound counters and everything just to hand out to people so that easier time gaming makes it easier for everyone, right? Like that's the kind of community that we have. On that note, do you think of yourself more as a competitive player, a casual player, hobbyist, or like a complete player kind of thing? So I'm, I'm definitely a hobbyist. I want to be more competitive, but I also don't want to... Um, like I played War Machine for there for a while, and I used to get frustrated because I wanted to, I wanted to be good at the game. I wanted to win games, 
But there was also a certain point where, like, this was for me personally, this isn't everyone, where I was realizing I didn't like the player I was becoming when I was becoming too competitive. I was being a little too cutthroat. So I backed away from that. But I found with Kings, trying to be more competitive, it, it tickles a different thing. You don't have to be that cutthroat. Like, it's a very easy game to be nicely competitive at, if that makes any sense. I'm trying more. I, I'm trying to get closer to the top tables because I think it's fun. And it, you get some really engaging games with like super tactical and, you know, and making sure all your angles work out and everything like that and cute little tricks of spacing tricks and everything like that. And it gets really, really interesting when you get that farther deeper into the game. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good point where you say you can be more competitive without being cutthroat and ruthless and like a whack yeah. guy. Kings is a relatively clean rule set, relatively balanced game. You know, I mean, nothing's perfectly balanced or, you know, it lets you play at that high level without, you know, those feels bad moments where like someone yeah, like, feels like they got caught out or cheated or. I've had more games where my opponent and me are helping each other and going, oh, hey, just so you know, I'm in your flank here. Is that how you intended to move at the top tables? And I've had like any other game where like there's gotchas. Yeah. Like, because you, you both don't want to see that stuff sometimes. Yeah, and you guys, you guys brought the the eager beavers down to Crossroads this year. So you got yep. a little experience with some of the larger, you know, Northeast Mid-Atlantic scene. So how did that yeah, go? And it, it, oh, it was wonderful. It was one of the greatest times. I'm looking forward to going back down with it next year. Might not have the beaver suit. That was a little hot for the day one. But <laughs> maybe we could do something else. I think there was even talk that we were going to join maybe, depending, we got to see how teams work out, join with the Buffalo guys, do a little coalition for like the Buffalo Beavers. That'd be great. See if something works out there. Crossroads is that great example of that, where it's some of the best players in the, the continent in the same room, and it's the friendliest room of gaming I've ever experienced. It's just in, intense yeah. and, and, and a really it's great It's funny, way. there's a couple guys there that I've seen at other like War Machine events up in Hamilton, but they're down from the States, right? Like it's, yeah. it's interesting how the community is all kind of integrated. You know, you and I both kind of started from like that, you know, GW, you know, Warhammer kind of 40K yep. fantasy. We have some guys who came from War Machine and then other guys who've never played any miniature gaming. And it's like, Everyone just kind of like they they all find the game because it satisfies that competitiveness and that hobby itch without yep. making you're not chasing a meta you're not chasing anything you're not looking for like all the gotcha moments you're just like I want to build this army and I want to hang out and play this game favorite tournaments you know you've, you've only been playing Kings of War yeah. for uh, you know a little over a year so what have been some of the your highlight events of the past year. Uh, so our, the the two day the uh, King Beyond the Wall three that was a great time tournament was a great time I love actually one thing about the uh, the Kings tournaments in general that I think is really interesting I haven't seen any others is the grudge system like the first tournament I showed up to which would have been the March of Death which was the two day that became a one day I'd never seen the grudge system before I hadn't seen anything about it on the Facebook just being able to challenge people I think adds really interesting dynamics to tournaments because number one. I don't know if you ever experienced this. You end up with, uh, you know, you travel two hours to get to a tournament with three guys and you end up facing one of the guys you've carpooled with in the first round every time. Funny, funny story. Uh, we went, John uh, McCready, Matt Vermeer and I, we went down to Orktown, um, I guess, just before the pandemic. So that was, it's about a 10 hour drive, but there were car troubles. So it ended up being like a 13 hour trip. <laughs> and uh, at the end of day one, Matt and I were paired up. Oh, no, in round two, Matt and I were paired up, and then we talked to the TO, and he's like, okay, fine. So we, we split up. And then round three, John and I were paired up. 
And he's like, well, we've already mixed, we've already switched one matchup, so you have to play him this time. And so we drove 13 hours to play each other. And like John is literally the guy that I play, and him and Steve are the two people I play the most frequently. And I drove 13 hours. It was still a great game, but <laughs> it always is. But it's, it's just it's like funny it's how just, that happens. Yeah. Like I, that happens with Star Wars Legion for a while. Me and two guys would carpool down to London every time. One of us would be playing each other in the first round. It's but so yeah, the the grudge system, and even just for like wanting to challenge people that you've maybe it's almost kind of like a skill check kind of thing, right? Because, you know, maybe you've lost them in the last tournament, but it was a close game. Well, let, let's do that game first, see how it is when we're both maybe a little bit fresher, see whether the same, see whether I've gotten better, right? If we're both playing the same armies and stuff like yep. that. So it's really interesting to see. And plus, I think it's interesting for newer players because sometimes a lot of the times, you know, you, some of those high school guys grudge each other and they pull themselves out. And then you have a lot of the newer guys playing each, each other in the first round. So it kind of creates an interesting balance disparity or balance, rebalances how the tournament works in a sense. Yeah, it's nice. And, you know, you get some creative, you know, challenges and it's a, it's a good way to yeah. have a little bit of fun leading up to the tournament. I think it's, it's a great idea. Yeah, like some of the challenge videos on the Fanatics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is a brand new year today. We are, we yep. are recording on New Year's Day. And that's that's a, a time check for all you listeners to see how long it takes me to edit this. <laughs> Going into 2023, uh, what are your big plans for the year? We have goblins, because i got to get those ready for a tournament next, next week, literally, next Saturday. I want to work on, I think I have Mantic Dwarves. I want to do Free Dwarves specifically, because I want to, the Imperial Dwarves, I have a different plan for those that will be far off in the distance, because i got to get everything sculpted for that. Uh, I want to try some Ratkin, but I have, I'm getting models sculpted for that based off, uh, some listeners might have played uh, Kingdom Hearts before, in by Square Enix, right, it uses a lot of Final Fantasy characters. And the Heartless are like this faceless horde of creatures. And there's a bunch of different types, you know, standard video games, a million different types of enemies. I've been able to kind of piece together what I want to use for each unit of Ratkin. And I'm slowly getting those sculpted, so I like to get that together with a big diorama town for them to be invading. So looking forward to that. Uh, Twilight Kin for Mantic. I know that'll probably come out closer to December, but based on the artwork that we saw, I'm really excited to see where they go with that army. And I'm sure we're going to get the trickle feed halfway through the year. So looking forward to that, probably. And then I'm sure there'll be armies in between. So I do want to try and do up another, I will be able to get it done, a raffle army for our next two day in March. I want to do something to, I, we did the Ewoks last year as one of them. So I want to do the Imperials this time, because I mean, you, you got to, for doing Star Wars, we got to finish it off both sides. So I'm looking at, uh, for that, I want to do Empire of Dust. Might not be as much into the undead theme, but it's looking through it, so... I want to do, at the end of the day, Star Wars is like a samurai, samurai theme, right? And you can kind of boil it down to that. It just draws a lot of inspiration from that. So I want to do a samurai army or like a Japanese, Chinese, Imperial, Asian themed army for uh, Empire of Dust. So for like the mummies, we'll have, we'll be like the Royal Guards. So we'll be samurai done up in red lacquered armor. For the skeleton spearmen and archers, we have some Ashidaru. I'll do them up in white so they look like the standard stormtroopers. I have some terracotta warriors I've done up for enslaved guardians, which will be more like the, I want to say death troopers, but I can't remember the exact name from the Mandalorian where they're basically robots, right? So that kind of fits into that theme. Of course, the snows there will be Palpatine himself, you know, the lightning, hopefully, maybe might even try to do some lighting on that. Actually, we'll have a little bit of lightning going. Uh, Shobik, because, you know, we want to have a Shobik. Uh, I have a model of a samurai Darth Vader, probably scale that up to three times, maybe light up the eyes, light up the sword, so it looks a little bit more... Posing and impressive, and it kind of works for him. 
and go from there and then fill out some of the heroes, probably do some like uh, ninjas and stuff for uh, to represent like the Inquisitors, do them up in like the gray schemes with the red weapons and go from there and fill out the army from there, probably around like 3,000 points, a bunch of different hordes of all different things. Everything will probably break down to regiments so you can kind of mix and match what you actually want to do with it. So you have some various options. And again, we'll probably offer delivery to Crossroads. So if you can get someone to get to Crossroads, you can have a chance at winning that army. Yeah, so that's a good uh, segue into one of my highlights of no, getting to meet you and of experiencing you painting all these armies this year was you painted up a full, like, 3,000-point Ewok-themed goblin army and offered it up to raffle for a charity this year. So some context. Earlier in the year, we raised some money with a terrain raffle at uh, Reign of Blood. And we raised a little over $400 for charity for Doctors Without Borders to support their work in Ukraine. And Nathan approached me after that saying he had an idea for uh, Came Beyond the Wall and a, a larger raffle. So he wanted to raffle off a whole army for charity, which I thought was an amazing and generous you know, offer. So he painted up this 3,000 point Ewok army, I think. You know, we had it on our page, Facebook page. We had around twelve hundred, over twelve hundred dollars in donations for that raffle, which is insane and incredibly generous from Nathan and the community. And I think Mike Rossi ended up winning it, and you delivered it to Crossroads. Yeah. And I just think, you know, you know, we, Mike Rossi and I we talked about this at Crossroads, and I think it was unplugged about how all the charity work the community is doing or has been doing this year was encouraged. Yeah, well, even Crossroads itself. It's like thousands of dollars. And it's just like. We're leveraging the positivity of this community in a really constructive way, which I think is great. Everyone talks about how you know friendly and you know welcoming and supportive the community is, and now we're using it that you know positivity to actually help people in need across the world, which is and helping like helping people outside of our community or even in our community that are in bad situations. Keep uh, keep your eyes out for the posts for this army. We'll be doing it for March of Death at the beginning of March here in Hamilton. So thank you to Nathan. I think this is a great way to experience the community or share share how positive our community is with everybody. So that's your big projects that you got planned for the year. It's not 13, so you're going to have to fill some gaps Ooh. throughout the year. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to double up on some armies. I mean, so as, as much as I... So I painted 13 armies, but it's only 10 individual armies because I painted Forces of Nature twice. I painted Ogres twice, two different themes both times. So I think there's, what, 28 armies and kings? And my goal has always been to have an army for every faction and a separate theme for every one of the 28. Mind you, I'll probably end up doubling up on Kingdoms of Men because I love how versatile that army is. Yeah, absolutely. A bunch of different themes there. Yeah, we'll see. 13, I think. So we did third, roughly 30,000. I think I kind of got up to like 32, 33,000 with the last two armies after I made the post. I think I have to try and exceed that. Maybe we aim for 40,000, but that's... Uh, Tune in next January to find out if Nathan has if, completed if all 28 armies and 40,000 points by the end of the year. <laughs> I, I still, every time I say it out loud, I just, my brain just explodes a little bit. How does the process work for you when you're coming up? Is it just like this constant like conveyor belt of random ideas that are coming through and you just kind of pick one? Or is it like, do you sit down and like try to plan things out you know, methodically? It, it really depends on the project. So, for example, like Rift War Jerks, I think that's one of my most, I think my most visually stunning armies, right? Like all the rocks and everything like that, right? It looks interesting on the table. It's got a lot of height variation. Uh, that army, I painted the first model back in December when the Rift War Jerks came out. 
I was talking with a buddy, Mark. Mark is uh, my work buddy, my main gaming buddy, and we do bounce ideas off each other a lot for how different things. We don't always go with each other ideas, but, you know, sometimes an idea doesn't have to be for that army. You know, maybe he'll say something and then six months down the line, oh, okay, that was an idea from back there. Can we use it for the next project? Uh, going back to Rift Forge, though, I painted in December and I'm sending pictures to him and going, what, what do I do for the basing? Right? He's like, well, do something like out of a metal album cover, do like lava rock, lava with snow on top. So I did some simple cork basing. I looked at it. I said, I don't really like this. So then they went back on the shelf. And then you guys announced the tournament in March, the two day. And I really wanted to go to that. I'm like, but I don't really have an army. I don't really didn't want to really take my empire of dust. I kind of wanted to take the Rift Forge. I'm laying there one night going, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? And I'm thinking, for randomly, something from Magic popped in my head. I also used to play Magic the Gathering. There's uh, one of the planes, Zendikar, is this whole living plane, right? You have rocks floating everywhere. The plane is alive. You have expedition teams that are trying to delve temples and stuff like that. You have these giant floating hedrons all over the place. I'm like, well, we could do a floating terrain set. I've always wanted to do floating terrain. Well, I can incorporate that into the army and that way I kind of kill two birds with one stone. I get my floating set. I get an army to play for this looking online. Uh, my mini factory, lots of great stuff on there. There was someone did a floating set of islands. I'm like, okay, buy that three in the morning. You start the printers. Let's go, <laughs> go buy some acrylic rods. So we can get the things going for the next day. I get to, I'm like, okay, well, what's the list actually going to be? I think uh, list submission was due Tuesday. I think I sent it in. I just got it in just under the deadline. And I'm like, well, what can I get painted by Saturday? Because at this point, I have nothing painted. I maybe have maybe a unit dry brush. I'm like, well, what can we do? Okay, four hordes of orc warriors, four regiments of this. Can we paint 150 orcs in seven days, five days? Yeah, sure, let's find out. Next day, Wednesday, head down to Hamilton, buy the rest of the starter boxes I need because I don't even have all the models I need. Book Thursday off and just start painting and go from there. I had to time out, like, hey, am I going to have enough rocks printed to be able to do everything? At one point, I think I was coming home from work on lunch to try and start the next print because I live close enough to where we go. Uh, go from there. So it, that's like Riftforged Orcs. That project started. It stopped because I didn't have basing. And that's actually kind of a theme for me is that a lot of my armies come back to the base, even if the base isn't that visually interesting or isn't that dynamic if I don't have something to base a unit on after I've painted it to tie it together, the project can stall for me. Like the uh, the Chocobo Knights, I think I did the basing, I think it was back in 2020. Oh, yeah, so I started the basing February 22nd. I did up, but it wasn't like the cartoon basing that it has now. I did actually just 20 millimeter squares. I went and cut like 400 of them, stacked them all up and kind of did it in that same Final Fantasy Tactics style. But it was actually just standard painting. I just did standard grass flocking, static grass, everything like that. I looked at it and I go, okay, no, that's not the right base for this army. So I put that away. A little while later, me and Mark were talking. Mark's big into chibi miniatures. And he there was a Kickstarter for uh, a, basically a chibi town or a chibi world to go with like super. And I kind of looked at that. I said, okay, nope, that's perfect. Get the files, start printing, start doing, do the first test So phase. yeah, you really need something. You, you feel like you need something to tie the the whole army together like a good rug yeah i remember when you sent your list in for uh was it reign of blood or march of death and i was like there's 30 or 40 unit strength of orcs reforged orcs and i was like i posted the list and then immediately you know after everyone saw the list there was like who's who's this guy bringing like 200 reforged orcs and we're like 
I'm like, I don't know. I just want to see the army. Like, I just want to see it on the table because apparently it's like close to full model count, he said, and he's still working on it. And I'm like, we are like, is it going to be painted? Like, what is weird? It was just like this mystery because we'd never met you really. And everyone was just like that. Yeah. And then it shows up and it's just 200 orcs on like floating rocks. And everyone's like, what the hell? Like, holy <laughs> Like, it was very impressive, I gotta say. <laughs> and honestly, like, you, the that reaction from the community is kind of what drives me to do this, because I love kind of making people a little fiber guys. And even if it, the army doesn't come up that well in the end, it's just making people go, that's interesting. I, I draw a lot of energy from like the, positive, the positivity of the community on the projects that I do. I, yeah, that's the great thing. It's like everyone has like their own take on the hobby. And, and no matter what it is, every, like, the people will appreciate it. So, you know, just getting something done and painted and showing up, that's everyone appreciates that and every, you know, we'll applaud it or like doing something really crazy and like, you know, you know, dramatic, like having all these floating like asteroid rocks like that your orcs are on like that. There's a lot of different ways to approach the hobby. And I think that's what makes Kings great. I think one of the things that's allowed me to stick with Kings the longest is the multi-basing because I always wanted to do kind of these big dynamic bases or like do something epic but in a lot of other games, you're restricted to a 25 millimeter circle. And it's like, well, you could do a lot with that. And there are a lot of people like Adepticon armies, they go to more towards the display boards and you could do a lot with that. But with Kings, my army is my display board. Now I do want to get better at making actual display boards to go along with the army to bring it up a next level. But it's, yeah, I can take all my train, any little skills out there, anything I've uh, learn from anything, any lighting, stuff like that. And you can incorporate that all into the model because your models are on these big, dioramic size bases, if you want them to be. Nothing against single basing at all. For Kings, like it just gives you the opportunity to do a lot more. And you you can run with it if you want, which you have. And like, it's just, it's really great to see. You kind of like gave us a rough outline of like your your brainstorming process and like how you, that basing idea comes first to tie into the army theme. For a majority of them, I do need the basing, but some simpler ones, like the, the lizard men I did for you, uh, those ones, uh, I know a lot of people, they wouldn't even probably be considered based at a lot of tournament because I just did clear acrylic, but that was because I needed the display board to show through because I had lights and everything in the display board, and if you use MDF, you can't see it, so kind of that there. Yeah, for context, that in the community, like after Came Beyond the Wall 3, I think everyone was tired of me playing rats. And no one wanted me to come back with them. <laughs> uh, so I put it out to the community. What should we do? And then someone's like, well, why doesn't Nathan like paint you an army in a week? And, and as a joke, I'm like, well, if he does it, I'll play it. Like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. So I, I brainstormed with John a little bit. We had a, we were going to do, I was honestly, originally I was going to do uh, leagues of rodeo. That would have been nice, ni a nice uh, ironic twist. <laughs> Right, so I was thinking you finally get to play your painted le uh, leagues army, but then I don't know how well it's known that you uh, for sci-fi you you like your fantasy fantasy, right? And I know Rat can kind of border on that sometimes. Yeah, it's, they're on the the tech side of fantasy, yeah. but they're on that edge, but, edge. So I'm like, well, uh, I think roughly around that time was when One Page Rules was releasing their Saurian store host, which is Space Lizardmen. I'm like, well, we could do Space Pirates, and then. We started with that, and I was brainstorming with John, okay, that works, okay, what are we going to do for basing? Well, if we do a giant pyramid and have them landing in a pyramid ship, because I think that's kind of like a holdover from fantasy, joke from uh, like old Warhammer fantasy for me was like the Lizardmen were basically a space-faring race, right? They're pyramid yeah. roles, shuttle ships, I think, roughly, I know. Close enough, yeah. Roughly. Uh, 
Yeah, close enough. So I'm like, well, we could do that. It'd be, you know, full sci-fi army. Everyone's got pistols and, you know, it's their raiding force. They've dropped down on the planet. We got a little, uh, uh, for that event, we had a ghost to do. So I did up the little ship's AI on a hollow table, which was actually like a pseudo Lord Croak model, but I scaled it all the way down, went from there. And that project was fun because I wanted to do all the lighting and I wanted to kind of push that again because I've done lights here and there. I did some for my Abyssal Dwarves. That model's never really seen the table because I spawned my Abyssal Dwarves off to Mark because I just didn't like the army, the direction that army was going, which happens a lot. Mark ends up with a lot of my half-finished projects. He's ended up with at least three or four different projects. I generally dislike sci-fi miniatures in fantasy worlds. But yeah, it, it was a great day because like I got to use an army that I had never seen before. It was like a completely secret list. I didn't see it until I got there and I got to open up the display board. I, I think I showed pictures and I had a video up on uh, the, the counter charge page after the tournament. And it was, again, it was very dramatic. I was laughing the entire way making yeah. armies. And then you did that for John as well earlier in the year with Pokemon Army. Yeah. So John was the first one. Um, and the Pokemon wasn't specific to him or anything. It was literally, I was at work one night. I was looking for files for a different arm. I was actually, it was for the, chocobo knights i was looking for a magitech suit to represent like the honor guard right because fun fancy has their big powered suits and the guy that did one of the suits also had pokemon files and that was one of those things that i'm kind of probably assumed oh yeah there's probably scls of it but i never clicked to do anything with them and i saw the model i'm like okay i can do something with this what do we want to do well it's forces of nature right they're a bunch of animals okay they're okay so then we start going, uh, well, what generation are we going to do? Yeah, the seven or eight generations of Pokemon. So I started kind of grabbing my favorites. And I'm like, no, this is John. Um, we'll do it. Okay, so we're going to do this for John. Um, I don't know if John knew Pokemon. I didn't really know. This was like three or four months into beating you guys. I'm like, if there's any chance that he's going to know it, we'll have to stick it all from generation one. So I had a bunch of units, put those off to the side, started fresh again. Uh, and then there again, basing comes back. Well, what do you do? Do you just do simple field, simple static grass? Well, no, a big kind of part of the original Pokemon games, I think, after second battle circles, and those lasted for three or four generations, right? Like, you're now standing on top of a patch of grass or a patch of water. I'm like, well, we can do something with that. We can make a little standee off the base, paint the base black so it's not visually part of it. You do some simple flock circles and put all the models in that and go from there, right? So, and that kind of ties that together. That was interesting because it wasn't elaborate, but it was visually striking because yeah. you stuck to, like, a theme. You know, there's a lot yeah. of primary colors or like bright colors with Pokemon, and it was just like here's these circles with creatures, and it, and it worked. And you know, I know some I'm just like my aversion to sci-fi and fantasy. I know some people are rolling their eyes because it's like, oh, this is another My Little Pony army, but it's a fun way to explore the game. That actually, mm -hmm. that Pokemon army, even if you didn't know, I didn't know any of the monsters. I had to play against that list, and it makes mm -hmm. sense visually because all everything scales properly yeah. size-wise, yeah, yeah. and, and you know, it looks like that looks kind of like what a unicorn would do. That kind of looks like heart piercers. It everything kind of made sense, and I think that's the key. Like what yeah. I'm talking about, multi-basing is make it look cool, make it make sense, you know, and fill the base. And you exactly like so there was like for heart piercer, I was thinking, okay, I can maybe do like. Um, bee drills or something like that which is you know pokemon it's a b-shaped pokemon that has giant almost like drills for hands you can do something like that but uh, it has wings okay so i can't use that because the model doesn't have flying so i don't want to get people confused that way so but luckily pokemon you know you have 16 or 17 different types of uh like your elements well we only have five elementals we should be able to figure something out somewhere that works right we have you know magmar and stuff like that for fire elementals with the basing and then you find your model inspiration 
do you like create fluff for these armies or is it mainly a visual story for you? It's mostly visual. I've maybe done like a backline or two if I need to kind of do a pitch an idea of, yeah, that's why we have this army. Like uh, my uh, Night Stalkers are, they're, they're very sci-fi. They're Necronids. So I took uh, Tyranids and Necrons and it was originally going to be my 40K army. I got out of 40K. I'm like, well, it's not like pure tech because you have a lot of bio, bio components to it. I'm like, okay, let's do it for Kings. Might not play it that much because I haven't really got into Night Stalkers. Uh, how can I justify this if I need to justify it? Well, uh, Night Stalkers, I know like the basic fluff is that they are basically made from the nightmares of men or creatures, right? Whatever your end up your nightmare, that dictates kind of the forms of what Night Stalkers can be. Well, we have Ratkin that have these Ratkin abominations and stuff like that. And what is the worst thing that a Ratkin can imagine? Like what, what would their nightmares be? Could it be something like some biomechanical abominations, that a soulless, feelless, etc.? Yeah, sure, we'll do that little justification there. Uh, ogres, I so I've done two different Ogres armies. Both of them are basically seem, uh, themed around the same idea. So I would do, like, Nomen Grok is the only living model, usually. Uh, use either, like, the Ogre Warlock or whatever works for the theme. So I did a, uh, a Santa-themed one. So my big gnome was Nomen Grok. He's one of the only living models in the army, aside from some Goblin Rabble. Um, and then the ogres themselves, they usually do up almost like terracotta warrior style, like a soulless army. And it's just the idea that Nomen Grok okay. is piloting this yep. army and keeping it alive. Right. So I did like these Stonecast Eternals. That's a fairly common paint job. Uh, right. Because Stonecast yep. Eternal models look cool. Uh, you hit them with stone spray. I don't know if a lot of people use that, but uh, from get it from Walmart, it adds some nice texture. It doesn't really clog up the details, but it gives you that little bit of extra for dry brushing to make it more visually interesting. Then I threw some uh, flock on the capes and stuff like that to give them a little bit of greenery so it wasn't just stone. You do some OSL on the eyes and stuff to kind of give it the idea that they're arcane. And all of a sudden you have right. like a puppet army. Right? And then if you want even something like that, you could go, uh, you could take your models, uh, you do the terracotta warriors there. And you could go for your red goblin rabble, you could do up dwarves. And then you could have a very easy army that could go between having dwarves with stone golems or ogres with... Yeah, so you get a bit of a multi-use out of it. Again, it just really comes back to like the way you approach things. Seem to be like have that strong, a strong visual element to anchor the whole army, and then you just kind of build off of that. So then it's just like, like you say, you call it a gimmick at the beginning. I don't think it's necessarily a gimmick. I think it's just like you just create a, you have a strong visual element to the army that you build around, and I think that's a really strong way to do it. Like it, it's like we're work, we're playing at arm's length or beyond, right? Two foot rule. Yeah. So it's like. To make a visually like impactful army is like you need to have that thing that ties it all together and just like and then make it makes it pop right. So you have like basing and then you have the element that makes it pop and then how you do that is very you know it's varied. You can do it in a lot of different ways and then how far you push each one can be different. But you don't have to go crazy. Like some yeah. of your armies, you'd spend more time on than others, right? And it's like, yeah, all the different armies, like there's different levels of effort or time and invested. Yeah, for example, like my Basileans are probably the fastest project I did. I think I'll I'll clock it in at like we'll say two and a half days for the the total army. Most of it was a low high, so I got with high point models there. Uh, the bases are very flat. They're just um, I actually took peel and stick marble tiles from the dollar store. Because it's the easiest way to do marble if you don't have an airbrush or a spray can. Because sometimes rattle cans, they spit a little bit more than spray. So it's hard to get the effect. Even though bit, marble can be an easy enough thing to do if you go through the process. But I found the tiles actually worked good. They look good in person. They don't photograph that well because they're 
high gloss. But the army itself is done up in uh, metallic blue, and then I used Mission Models. They sell color change, but they don't. It's not two tone; it's single tone, so you can mix whatever color change you want. So then from the top, it's all metallic purple. So kind of depending how you're looking at the model, it goes from blue to purple. You have all the gold highlight to tie together. Uh, new Luna Oil Gloss Black Wash, so it still has that sheen to it. It didn't right. get dulled down. So it looks good. And facing, again, is a little bit flat. I'll probably come back to that because uh, Mantic does wonderful train crates, and they do a nice oh, set yeah. for temples and stuff like that, right? Actually, uh, that's one army I want to do. So another great thing for uh, in general, so like we have Ambush now, which is this small format. So you can get away with doing some bigger projects or more ostentatious projects. Yeah. Because you only have to do like five or six. It's bases. a it's a neat idea for like a testing ground, right? Like you can kind of yeah. like I'm going to build 750 points. So basically, it's like five or six units tops, and you can do like a basing test scheme and a painting test scheme, and then if it works, you can expand it. If it doesn't, you're like, well, I have an ambush army. Exactly. Uh, so one I wanted to do there for there was uh, Night Stalkers, and it was a simple army of just five doppelgangers. Leaves you 25 points. You put a five point item on each. You give it like the staying stone, the healing potion, uh, sword, mace, and something else. And what I wanted to do was do it a pyromantic army based around their terrain crates and just have it that you put one mimic on each base. So the idea is you're going through this manor and it's just a set of mimics. Each base has one mimic on it to give you an idea that there's something there and anything on the base could be your model. And then you get to use the magic terrain crates because they sell a wonderful set of uh, like the manor set. I think it's like 130 or something like that. American Canadian prices are weird, but you get like your parlor room. So you do up that as like the tier of Liliana. You do a nice painting there. Uh, you have the sword and the stone. So that's your blade of slashing unit because you do like the treasury. You do an alchemy lab for your healing brew unit, stuff like that. And you can tie it through together all the way down. That's a good thing about the terrain crate. It's like it gives you a lot of options and the it's really high quality stuff so people who can't don't have access to 3d printers and stuff for terrain like the terrain crate stuff is top notch i highly recommend it um so we've been kind of like talking around all these different projects you know as we've been going through things um what would be like your probably your favorite project that you you did this year so i i think it is my reforge orcs because it's I did like so. I have my Empire Dust. They're one of my favorites, but they weren't done this year. I started them last year. The Rift Forge Arcs, just because it is this big project. I finally did some uh, 3D, or not 3D. I did some sculpting work for the giant. I took the Mantic Giant. I armored it all up. I gave it a big hammer. I really like the way it came out with that. That is um, a great mini. I think that was one of like the standout pieces. Like it's in an army that is all floating on giant rocks. Like to have an, a miniature like stand out in that army is pretty impressive. Yeah, and then like, and just the army itself from Mantic, like the Hell Strikers are awesome. I, I love the Mantic cores. Uh, I have some. I have one that's even not even on a rock. I just pinned him directly, so it looks like he's flying over the lava. I still want to do something for like on a for legendary armors for that, like on a colossal base. I want to have like a ritual scene at the end of the army or something like that with a giant summoned thing. Oh, that'd be um, great. Yeah, so I think that'd be fun to do a legendary siege game or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I think Rift Orcs is probably my probably my standout plus it's also the one that i've kept and it's the army that i've been playing the most this year um i have like terrible army add obviously i think you can probably guess that from 13 different armies but for the majority of the tournaments this year i have shown up with reforged orcs and i've played a lot of games at least for me with mm -hmm. reforged orcs and they've been an army that's been able to keep my interest and that's one nice thing about kings like i was when i used to play war machine caster add you know you have 13 casters for a faction and every game i'd be playing a different caster and it's like well you, you can't really get certainly yeah. good at the game because your list is always changing kings really rewards practice yeah. with 
a, a similar list. Like you don't have to play the exact same thing, but yeah. really keeping things and changing small amounts of stuff in between games or tournaments really helps you hone those skills. You, you learn those angles because you, you know the elements of your army more effectively. Yeah, and I think Kings is also one of the best games, at least I think from what I've noticed, in that everyone, like, not everyone is good at using every unit, and everyone kind of has their own little pet unit that they, it clicks for them on how to use it, even if other people can't use it or isn't actually that, where they don't think it's that good or it's that meta. Some people's minds work in a way that, no, this does what I needed to do in this list or in this particular build, and you can get some really interesting mileage out of it. Absolutely. It's like, especially if you have like one of those borderline units that people don't typically use very much, but you have an edge case within your army, the way you've set it up and the way your brain works, where you can get the most out of it. But all those like kind of, you know, borderline units, like that's where like the fun is. It's like you get the stuff that's like kind of a little bit weird. And the. So we got the Rift Forged. Um, next, I think top three, I think you said. So next would probably be my Lizard, the Lizardman. Um, I think actually Ben ended up with those now because those came back to me and then went to Ben. Um, that was an army because I wanted to push myself for lights. I love doing LEDs. I did a lot of LEDs when I was playing Star Wars Legion, like lighting up the lightsabers and stuff like that. And if anyone wants to get into LEDs, uh, Fantasy Flight does a really good article. I think it's called, uh, if you Google, uh, A More Elegant Weapon by Fantasy Flight Games. It's just how to do a lightsaber. But you can take that tutorial and you can expand on it and apply it to basically any miniature. Like I did it for my Thonar. I lit up his uh, his one eye. And like the Manticore's eyes, I did it for the Cyclops character of Voldner. Ratkin would really benefit from those. Some You can do like lime green LEDs and you do them just in eyes and stuff like that. And it's easy enough to add because again, Kings, you can build your base up a little bit to have areas to hide the magnet or hide your battery and stuff like that using a simple magnetic switch. We'll post links to all these resources in the show notes for everybody so that you know you can uh, use all the, the fancy tech that Nathan's talking about. <laughs> um, so then the Lizardman, I wanted to kind of push myself and get back to LEDs. The last time I had done a big LED project was my Abyssal Dwarves. I did like 32 LEDs in a greater uh, Earth Elemental. It was one from Titan Forge, a massive 12-inch thing. I did smokes. And then, of course... I have a terrible thing where I screw one thing up in every project. It's just, it's a guaranteed thing. And I usually just leave it because that proves I'm human. I'm not a robot yet. So uh, in that one, I, when I was testing the circuits using a nine volt battery, it turns out I was using a half dead nine volt battery or something to that effect. And so I had all the circuit timing worked out great. And then I put a new battery in it, fried half the LEDs. So, (laughs) and they're, of course, they're encased in resin. I can't get to them. Like, okay, so that, because I had it like it had smoke and everything, and then the smoke was on like a te- uh, 10 second pulse, so it would look like the smoke was inhaling and stuff like that. So that's all dead, so it just has ecstatic LEDs. Uh, even on the Lizardman board, I did the same thing. I have terrible wire management skills. I was doing all the wiring, and there's that board had a hundred plus LEDs in it because it had all the corners lit up, all the vents lit up, uh, and there was two sets of pulsing, so I had red and yellow. And I think like orange and blue under all the panels that were supposed to be alternating. But because I have terrible wire management and I had some bare wires, something touched somewhere and it shorted out one half. So instead of alternating, you just had blinking LEDs, for example. (laughs) You just move on and you finish the project. Yeah, I think that's it's a good learning point because you're going to make mistakes no matter what element of the hobby you're doing. And I think there's a little bit of paralysis that people have for like they don't want to do do it because they don't want to make a mistake so yeah. then they end up not even trying right so you don't push yourself because if you, when you push yourself that's when you're doing something that you're not comfortable with you might make a mistake and then 
you just end up doing the same thing over and over again because that's what you're comfortable with. But like when you're trying to do something new, know that you're going to make a mistake and that's 100%. totally fine. Like the Bob Ross happy accidents, like sometimes it works out and it, it makes it better. Sometimes it works out. It doesn't change it that much at all. And sometimes it doesn't work at all. And you're like, yeah. well, now I can just do it again because we aren't doing surgery. No one's dying. We can just like, <laughs> we can just print another one or go buy another one or whatever. It's, this is a, you know, it's, it's nice that like we have that luxury to just like try again. Yeah. So I think, and I think, it's it's really great that you like keep pushing yourself because I think that's a really good thing that not a lot of people do. And that's the thing, like printing printing is great. I, I love printing because it's like I you can print a test model and go, okay, I want to try this scheme. Let's print a model that's similar to maybe something that Mantic has or something, so I can get a similar visual things. And okay, does this painting technique work, or can I use this, or will it do what I want it to do? Um, a good example of something that I have to get back to because I, I failed every time I've tried to do it, and I've, I finally found a video to probably get it done is Vallejo Crackle Paints. Um, so I think I think a lot of people have used like the GW, the Crackle Paints for basing and stuff like that, right? Like the Morden Earth and stuff like that. So you get like a depth of base. Vallejo sells a Crackle Medium, or there's a bunch of companies that sell it, so that you can do your base color, do whatever you want to do, apply the Crackle Medium, then you apply your top coat, and so you can do your own Crackle effects. I've read their instructions on the bottle. I've tried it and I think I've only got it to work once and it still wasn't the way it was on the bottle. It's just never worked for me. And then I finally found a video that, you know, end up applying it with airbrush and then you end up uh, doing your top coat and then spraying with water and that gives a better effect. So I want to do an army with that. That was actually supposed to be my original Rift Forged Orc idea is I wanted to do purple, like uh, purple underglow on all the armor and do like stone encased armor. And I'm like, I have to get this army painted in three days. That's not happening. We're doing basic magic scheme. Let's go. Yeah, it's like about giving yourself like yes. realistic goals too, right? It's like I want to do this. Can I accomplish that yeah. in like my time frame or like with? It's like not not every time of year. Like last year for me, like I had no personal time yeah. for painting, so I just didn't do very much. But like when I did, I, I painted up some units for my ratkin. I got a little bit started on my orcs when I could, and then. I learned to not put pressure on myself to like yeah. push myself every time. So it's like you have, you build up those ideas though. Right. So now it's like, it's in the back of your head. Like, Oh, I tried it. I don't have time to do it right now, but now it's in the bank of ideas and techniques that I'm going to, you know, match up with a yeah. new army, a new project. Right? I think Pokemon, cause I grew up playing Pokemon. That was fun. I got to work on the Pokeball. That thing almost killed me spring loading that, trying to figure that out. I think I was still working on that right till the Friday, the, the before the tournament. I was. We'll try to sh share the video of, of John opening the spring loaded Pokeball <laughs> display board so everyone can witness like it. This is another one where John didn't know the list, yeah. didn't know the army, <laughs> didn't know what was happening until he got to the store and they handed him a probably what. 18 inch pokeball yeah, full of army inch. it was <laughs> the worst part was i just did i i think i picked an arbitrary number of 18 or 20 inches i never actually planned out what is the base print like the the actual what, base what size was the footprint of the army yeah i didn't i didn't calculate that at all i'm like all right it should be fine and then i'm getting there and i'm like okay i try to piece everything together i'm like if i close it this way it won't clip zapdos okay we can't open this until we get there hopefully we don't hit any bumps <laughs> Measure twice, cut once, folks. <laughs> it's fine. Just do it again if you screw. Actually, the the Pokeball itself, I took me, I uh, for the shell itself, it's 3D printed. I printed all the, the four corners, glued them all together. 
But first, what I was, I tried three different things first. Like I tried to just do a skeleton and then wrap it and then foam and then sand. And basically I was trying to procrastinate because it was like an 18 hour print time for the shells. And I'm like, finally, I'm just like, screw it. Just put the shells on for 18 hours and be done with it. Sometimes you just got to do it. See if it sticks. You've had this incredibly productive year. Is this kind of like a normal hobby year for you or was this abnormal? This is, I don't think I've ever, like I've cleaned it um, 40K. I think I've only ever really had one or two painted armies. Like I normally did not paint. It was kind of always, yeah, I got to paint this. Yeah, I got to paint this. Yeah, I got to paint this. War Machine. The only time I ever painted stuff for War Machine was when he had a tournament because he wanted to be fully painted. But it was, normally I would not sit down. But if I was going to paint, it would be done in one shot. I wasn't really good at like, you know, I'll paint a model today and then a model tomorrow. I'll do that for a week and then I'll get tired and just do it all in one shot. But this is the probably abnormal in the amount that I've done. Like, I think the amount of armies I've done for Kings this year is probably more than I've done in the last 10 years for any other game combined. Like, I probably haven't painted 13 armies at all before this. So would you say, like, it's the convergence of all the elements of Kings of War that's kind of inspiring you to do yeah, this? Yeah, it's, I think it's every, like, it's everything Kings clicked as a game for the most part, right? I'm having a lot of fun learning it and trying to get better at it. The community was great. We end up talking a lot. It's easy to get out to, because, um, like, the it's nice because it's on Friday nights. A lot of other games, their days are on Thursdays or Wednesdays, and I work night shift, and I work those nights, so I, I can't even get out to regular game nights, so that kills a lot of my motivation whereas kings is friday i don't work friday nights okay we can get out in gaming and go from there and then, you know, i have the tournaments the next day they're easy to get to a great community and then again so you have like the multi-basing so you, i can do these big bigger things when i want to don't always need to but i can if it's there and as well like being model agnostic so one of the armies i did was elves but i did it with uh retribution from war machine um, because uh, Retribution was my first War Machine army, and then the paint scheme was copied from a friend of mine who got out a War Machine. He did a he had some really beautiful yellow Retribution. Mine aren't quite. I mean, my first unit was nice in his scheme, and then after that, it kind of went down as I had to paint more, and then some motivation dropped off because of some of the models I'll paint in, which we'll talk about after. But that was kind of like an homage army. I kind of did that in his style, but also for me because that was my first War Machine army, so it was kind of like nostalgia there. It's a hot topic in the community sometimes about the model agnosticism and supporting Mantic. But I think I, as much as I'm sure Mantic would love for you to have painted 13 full Mantic armies, I don't think, you know, financially, that's yeah. probably not viable for many people. And it's like, it gives you the opportunity to be an active part of the community, really explore your modeling. And then you also are doing Mantic yeah. armies on, you know, within that. So it's like, it's keeping you in the community and it's, it opens up the door to more people. And then once the people are in the door, then they're going to be supporting the company. And I think that's a really important part of it. Once you get in and you're playing the game and then you're going to go like, okay, well, how can I support Mantic? Uh, the easy way to support is like the uh, the companion app or buying the books, right? And then past that. Yeah, absolutely. Mantic is coming, starting to come out with a lot of great models. Like I love the Rift Orc line. It's awesome. They're a little bit derpy sometimes with the heads and stuff, but it's a great, interesting line, I think. Uh, Twilight Kin, if Twilight Kin look half as good as the concept art, that line is going to be beautiful. It's going to be really interesting. Um, I, dwarves, <laughs> their dwarves are, they could do with an update, but they're also kind of, they have this weird character, like these super wide. They have their stuff, charm. Right? It's that charm, and it's not for everybody, but it's going to get somebody. I always say, like, if they could just get whoever sculpted the Vanguard dwarves to do their dwarf update, I mean, that thing would sell like hotcakes. I'd buy a dwarf army. Like, those. <laughs> 
Vanguard dwarves are great. And I think they just, they really need to channel and focus uh, the high quality sculpts into like some new armies. And I think if they update their elves and dwarves with some of those high quality um, Vanguard and League of Infamy style sculpting, Mm -hmm. I think. You know that that'd be next level. And it's just make also some models out. Like, I think they're getting better yeah, at that. I think pains, they, right? they like they're they tease that they're going to be releasing some stuff like that. You know, which is good. Yeah. And and they keep releasing more like that. I know Rob's painting up the salamanders right now, and they look incredible. And salamanders look awesome. I love this like the scorch wings. I got three regiments of those. I want to get maybe one or two more just for different armies because those models are just wonderful. The air elementals are great. The lesser and greater both. It's yeah, just, I think all the whole the whole elemental line is really solid. I think. Yeah, and you, you can do some fun things with them, right? And go from there, and really dynamic, especially with flying models. You can do some really dynamic basing. It doesn't have to be low to the ground. You can start going up higher. I think there was some stuff mm-hmm. at Crossroads. Guys had them like flying over ruins and stuff like that, right? And it adds a really interesting visual aspect to it. So we've talked about some of the very specific projects, and you know. Uh, the stuff that you did this year, but, and we've talked about, you know, how multi-basing has really drawn you into getting more into painting mm-hmm. in the hobby. Is there anything else like really draws you to the painting and modeling aspects of the hobby? No, I think it's just kind of, it's what I'm wired for. Maybe not so much painting. Like I think painting is the, the lesser of my skills. Like I, I paint to a certain standard, depending on the army. Like uh, I still want to do one quote unquote, nicely, properly highlighted, properly washed, proper army, that isn't just kind of like contrasting a dry brush or contrasting a little bit here and there. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Like I said, most of my armies are contrast armies. Yeah, it's a get it, and it looks good on the table, yeah, right? Exactly. And that's like not everyone is going for you know player's choice or best painted. Yeah. Like I think a visually striking army can be done with contrast and some highlights. And so, like, what drew me to the hobby initially was uh, when I got into 40k. I was told you can build your model however you want. And that's kind of something that I've always dabbled on. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I used to buy, like, the Power Ranger, um, like, the Megazords. And, well, I don't have that Megazord. Can we make it out of this one? Grab a hacksaw and let's go, right? That's my favorite story for my dad to tell. I never got anywhere with it because he didn't have any half the skills at the age of seven or eight or not. But right. it, that's just kind of how it's always worked. I've always, like, tinkering with my hands, right? I've gone through a million different projects. I've done wood churning. I've worked in metalworking. And it's just, I have to kind of be constantly moving or else it's just, I get bored, right? And it, sometimes it's nice, Kings, do an army, get the dopamine or the, uh, the yeah, the dopamine hit and then go on to the next one, make a new project, hands moving, going from there. So do you have a background in art or is it mainly a, a background in like, you know, the trades? The mostly that... in the trades. I, like, I have no artistic skill when it comes to drawing or sketching like that. I've done a little bit of modeling here and there. Like, then that was just custom. Like, I remember... When I first got into War Machine, I wanted to sculpt an extreme juggernaut. It actually came out pretty good, but it was out of clay, and then it got wet, and then it kind of got destroyed. So, and that kind of comes back to, like, I like working with my hands because I can affect something in the way I want to. It doesn't always work out with painting and stuff like that. Sometimes you just can't get the highlights right, or it ends up blotchy, and then it's like, okay, you got to strip it down. Modeling, you can take it off, put it back on, and you can affect it physically more than I find you can with other mediums. So we're just going to run through some quick fire questions about like just the general hobby world and, you know, cool stuff you've seen, tools of the trade that you use. Yeah. So uh, what's the coolest project you've ever seen? So this one is, I, I think I'd consider it a project because it was a diorama build. It's for the uh, Gunpla Builders World Cup in 2016. It was one uh, in Australia, I believe. So I like Gundam a lot. That's a lot of anime I kind of grew up on. If you know Gundam or not, it doesn't matter. So one of the main mobile suits, the main characters, his suit has a 
super mode, right? It turns red and it starts having like after images because it's moving so fast. And this diorama was of that, like it's slowly transitioning to the red. He's replaced parts with clear parts. So it's kind of see-through in areas. And he's done up, painted up two others in like a reddish white hue to reflect the after images. And he's having as moving through like an asteroid. That's one of those things. After image effects is not something you see in a lot of builds, right? It's something right. different. They're creating that motion. Yeah, right. So what's the best model you've ever... I think you're going to have the links for this. This is... Uh, it's yes. um, 54 millimeter samurai painted by a... I hope it's a Russian woman. Um, old name is Olga. I'm going to make some assumptions there. I apologize if there's any mistakes, but it's 54 millimeter so standard than our bigger miniatures, but the amount of detail that is packed into it, there's flowers, the lining, there's, it's basically like almost looks like fully painted embroidery. It's just visually stunning and to see the thing and everything she does is beautiful, but there's something about that model. If I'm ever talking to people outside of the hobby about like top of the top, that is always the first model that comes to mind. So I think that's kind of something that resonated with me there. I'd say it'd be something to work towards, but I'll be working for the next 20 years on my painting skills to get up that high. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's nice to have a goal that far away, right? Goals or inspiration for goals doesn't have to be attainable, yeah. really. Yeah, you know, it's like sure. you watch, you know, someone at the top end of their field and you're just like, it's inspiring because like you're like, it's possible to do that. Like I may never be able to do it at that level. Yeah, but it is possible. It's something that I can work towards and you can always improve, right? And like she's probably thinking the same thing yeah. she's like well that was a good project but i can do better exactly and the, it never stops right it's no it never does and that's that's the great thing about this pursuit it's like a hobby that it's never ending like yes it's the same thing over and over again but you get to do it slightly better or slightly different every time so what's your favorite or best army that you've ever seen it's really hard to pick one but one that i always come back to and it's easy because it's a local army and one that i kind of Every time he brings it out, I love seeing it. You kind of always find a little new piece is uh, Matt Langtree. He has his undead. And I, I love that army. There's, It's just it's a visual spectacle to play against. You're looking at it from all the different angles. And he kind of encapsulates everything I want to do, which is this diorama world building. And he even has a he has the display board for it, which is an area I've kind of lacked to at this point. And it's he's another one of these guys that it's a goal to work to. And it's something that I can see because he's local and you can bounce ideas off him and stuff like that. That army is it's impressive because it's an undead army overrunning a village. Yeah. He's got a bunch of mantic stuff. He's got some of the Forgotten Realms stuff yeah, from uh, Fireforge. There's all sorts. And he's got some Mercia monsters. And it's 3D printed a lot of the terrain. And it's... Yeah, all the town, all these undead creatures are just overrunning these villagers and this town. Yeah. And, and it's like it's... his werewolves are in like a hut or a library. I can't remember right off the top of my head. But there's like a bookshelf and it's just strewn all about and it, it's just so alive. From every angle, right? Yeah. And for an undead army, it's quite bright, <laughs> which is really n nice to see. Like, it, it has these bright, but not, but also otherworldly colors. Yeah, it's not so cartoony, it's... but it's bright and it pops and it's visually stunning and the highlighting is beautiful. Oh, it's just, I love that. <laughs> every time he brings it out. It's a nice example of like color combos and an and aesthetic that like, I would never think of that, but it looks really good. Like, you're like, I, I wouldn't expect that color combo or color array, but it works really well. So do you have any project that you have started and haven't finished that you want to go back to or anything like on the list of like things you need to, to do, like at the top of your list? So I was originally going to do like a Daughters of Cain, like from Age of Sigmar, 
uh, for like a Twilight Kin uh, slash Abyssal because you could there were some very easy overlaps on those units you could count them as either or like the Succubi versus the Blade Dancers and stuff like that. And then Mantic announced the Twilight Kin. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do Mantic Twilight Kin because that's going to look great. So then this army is going to be Abyssals and I just haven't had time to get to it because that is going to be the army that I want to actually put like full effort like instead of painting a regiment in two hours i want to paint one model in a day kind of thing and go from there and take my time on each piece probably not a model for a day for even the basic troops because i just don't think i can slow myself down that far yeah but i want to do water effects and stuff because i haven't done water effects for a king's army yet and that's one thing that i always love doing uh so that's one for a king's project uh for a 40k and i still have it above my head up there is i have an eldar phantom titan right so it's a big two foot tall model and I'm converting it to be an Eldar Bright Stallion, which is a centaur. And I started that at the second week of the pandemic when I was laid off. I started printing the pieces. It had been in my uh, closet for six, seven years right after I graduated. My parents bought it for me as a graduation gift. I'd never done anything with it. And it's still sitting up there right now. I started it, and then I caught so far, and I've kind of realized, I don't know why I stopped, or I didn't know why I stopped, and now I kind of realized it's, I did the centaur body, but the body is too short. So I have to go back and, like, cut it in the center and elongate it, but I've already done a lot of sculpting on some of the back plates and stuff, so i got to redo all those. So it's kind of been one of those, do it, but I also need to be in the mood to destroy half of it to start again. Yeah, that's tough. Sounds like it'll be an impressive model when it's, what would be your tips to people who are painting like a whole army quickly or like approach things on a project basis as opposed to like a model painting basis? A couple things. So like I, um, I only use a couple different brushes, right? Like I have a standard like 10 aught round brush for detail. I have a one eight flat and I have a wash brush and I'll use a couple other brushes for dry brushing because, you know, dry brushing is really hard. But half my brushes are dollar store brushes, like anything for the dry brushing, because I don't want to spend five, ten dollars on a brush and then it lasts for, you know, dry brushing lasts for however many, maybe one or two armies, depending how aggressively you're going. Uh, but learn how to use your brushes, like an eighth inch flat brush. Yeah, you can use it for the larger areas for cloaks, but, uh, you know, on its side, you can also use it to kind of do like on the Vaseline, you can use it to do the books on the Paladins, really easily kind of get into those details there. So just learn what brushes you want to use. And right, everyone's going to use something different. Like learn how your tools work and what the most work you can do with them is. Yeah, I, I try to like do as much work as possible on an army with a two or a three. Yeah. To try to do everything down to like, except the eyes with that. And then if I do try to be a Rob Fanuf and paint the eyes, I will go take my zero or... The best tip, if you're worried about your paint jobs, you're like, oh, my, I'm not painting that way. Number one, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. Everyone starts somewhere. Number two, Paint the eyes. doesn't matter what they look like. If you put in the five minutes of effort to paint the eyes on all the models, someone will comment it on it. Hey, you painted the eyes. That looks great. It's true. It's But that is like, for me, that is one of the more nerve wracking elements of the model is like, I don't want to cross-eyed night. <laughs> I mean, uh, one tip I think I heard good for that. Um, and as much as I say paint the eyes on my last two or three armies, I skipped the eyes. Like on the Basileans, I 3D printed helmets with no eyes specifically so I wouldn't have to paint them so I could just wash and get away with the slits. Visors are your friends. They are. Um, but I think one tip I heard for eyes, which has kind of worked when I've done it, instead of trying to get in the center, because unless you're really taking a lot of time and doing it properly, it's hard to get them both centered up. Pick a pick either a down into the left or like an up into the right and just paint the corners and that way they're looking at something and then it doesn't really matter if they're kind of that little bit off. They're kind of it's directional. You're not looking at it straight on. That makes sense. Yeah, because they're not looking in different directions. At least they're both looking in the same yeah, direction. Yeah, exactly. Ish. Ish. You know, close enough. Close enough. 
So that's from the learn your tools kind of perspective. Uh, next, learn your paints, right? So it doesn't matter what paint line you stick with. Find some paint lines. Do what other people are doing. Like I have seven different, so I think seven. So I use GW. I use Vallejo. I use Army Painter. I use Tamiya's, right? Tamiya's have a really nice line of clear paints that are great for gems or if you want to do any glass effects, stained glass or anything like that. And that's all I use those for. Uh, mission models, like I was saying, they have color change, but they sell single color color change. So you can do interesting things. They also have like a pearl white that I used for the wings on the Aloha. So it was kind of like a metallic white look going on there. Vallejo sells like metal medium. So I'll but try it on a model first, see whether it's actually what you want. Like I've found, uh, I picked up three army painter reds because I never have red, but I like painting red. And I found they were all very watery. Now maybe that's, I know army painter is supposed to come with a little extra medium in the top so that it doesn't dry out during shipping. Or maybe I just got a bad batch, but I've found whenever I've used them, they've never, I, it's, you got to apply like five coats. So it's, I don't really use them that much anymore. I use them more as a top layer kind of thing if I am doing it or maybe a little bit of highlights, but they're still very transparent. So they kind of, relegated to the backlog um, yeah i find like with certain colors like they can be tricky and like you might have to switch lines for different colors yeah like i know like i've paint a lot of yellow mm -hmm. with both my infinity and kings of war stuff and yeah. it's like the vallejo yellows have come out on top for me yeah you know like i was saying earlier like the early gw reds were for me were terrible but then like you know certain other ones are good and like you know, different contrast paints and then those speed paints, like all these things, you have to learn what they are good for. Yeah, even for dry brushing, like again, like I use some Vallejo yellows like you, but then when I want to dry brush, I go to the Mission Model yellows. So Mission Models is more of a line for uh, automotive, for like car bodies and stuff like that, for miniature cars and stuff like that. But they work great for miniatures. They have bright, vibrant colors because it's for cars. They're almost brighter than most miniature colors in half the time. And I find they take to the dry brushing process better than some of the Vallejo stuff because it just, the pigment holds a little bit better. I really like the Vallejo metal color stuff. It's very thin. It's yep. almost like a metal contrast paint in, yep. in some respects because it's quite thin, but you can't dry brush with it because the medium is different. It's too thin. Understanding the properties of your paint and what you want to get out of them yep. is very important. And, and like you don't, you can either listen to people or you don't listen to people. It doesn't matter. Find what works for you, right? Like, you know, there are some staunch, oh, I only use dropper balls that doesn't matter use whatever you want experiment exactly have fun it's this is a hobby be a hobby scientist don't be stressed yeah exactly okay yes paints can be expensive but like honestly ten dollars five dollars a bottle it's yeah. like you made a it's like that's okay that's yeah. it's fine and you might like, you might find a use for it down the road even if it isn't good for what you want it for right now well it's like a nihilate oxide from gw is a very heavy corrosion paint for doing like corrosion on bronzes and stuff like that uh, half the time I end up using it for painting a ghost if I want a ghostly effect. And you have to thin it down because if I paint it straight out of the bottle, it's like instead of blue on the high and then kind of it's instead of like a wash, it's your model is now corrosion. That's it. It is this super yeah. high blue. It covers every little bit of anything. You have to thin that one down, at least that I've found. Now, maybe you have a use yeah. for that thicker effect. Well, and you mentioned something earlier, like batch to batch consistency. It's like sometimes it's not the batch consistency is not great even with the high quality paints and like you have to make sure you're testing it before like i've had different properties from bottle to bottle of the same stuff true so you have to make sure that it's going to be what you want like by doing a tester like you're saying even processes so for example like airbrushing i know a lot of people find air the idea of airbrushing daunting it's not if if you can afford it go buy a cheap amazon brush that you can use for base coating and then you can use that for washes and stuff like that and uh, 
even a cheap airbrush can go a long way. Like Mark, um, I don't know if we have any pictures of his armies, but he's done his entire half his army is all Crick's ghost, and majority of it he's done with uh, black prime white ink and then some green washes, and he got some really nice fade effects going. Then you go back and touch up some of the details, and that's with a cheaper end brush. As far as I know, he bought it off Amazon. Like I know he's not using a badger or anything like that. Like you don't need to go super high quality when you're starting out. One of the good tips for airbrushing that I've found using a silly putty as a masking medium. Yep. So then you could get rid of the overspray. So you can get like that, the speed and mm-hmm. convenience of the airbrush, but then you're still getting those nice clean lines. Yep. And with that overspray for like, if you want to get into like some of the like, quote unquote more advanced stuff like OSL airbrushing makes OSL like it's a joke. Like it, it, it takes you 30 seconds. Okay. Da, 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 da. Okay, I have a model that has light source from here all the way out because you can you're painting in a spray, which is how you know your light is coming out. Some people might and like yeah, there's there's ways to like fine tune that to like higher levels, but to get that you know tabletop dramatic effect, yeah, it doesn't yes. take much. And then from there, you can go further if you want. Yeah, exactly, and it, that's everything. It's half of it is to t- picking out. Okay, I've got this project. How far do I want to go on this? And like one thing that I've done for armies that I kick myself in the but for is I'll do my test model for an army that I know I'm going to batch paint and I'll do it. I'll do all the proper highlights and everything like that. I'm not going to do all that when I'm painting 120 models. I'm not going to individually. It's going to get a contrast, a wash, maybe a dry brush. Like I'm not going to. When you have a batch of 10 or 20 models on your table, you're like, how many highlights am I going to do? Yeah. And am I going to be consistent? So like if you're, if you're going to, do like you need to get an army done in seven days, but you haven't done your test scheme or anything like that for whatever reason, paint to the quality that you think you can maintain or even go a step lower. Cause it's always easier. It's easier on your mind. If you want to go back later and pick details up, like if you paint your test model to let's say a three on a scale at a 10, but you end up paint and you paint everything to a three. Okay. That's fine. This is what I expected from my test model. The army all looks the same. If you paint your test model up to a seven, and then you start going seven and then a six and then you end up painting the rest of the army at a three. Well, then you have this really weird discrepancy and it might, you might not end up liking it because you're like, you, I know I can paint better because I painted up to here. And then the rest right. of the army kind of fell off down in the hill. And if you do your bases and your base colors and all those things to a nice clean standard, you can always add a little bit. Like yeah. It's harder with multi-basing, but then again, you can start doing it to the edges of the unit, right? Yeah, and As, I mean, or the tops. That's the other thing. Depending how crowded your bases are, like if you're doing like if you're doing proper rank and file, I mean, what your first two ranks? Like, once you get to that middle rank, you might get the outside two guys, but like they're they're, they're on that base. Like, it's you know, at that point you can do the highlights off the top because that's where you know your sun or whatever your light source is hitting. But and some of it's in shadowed just from the closest of the bodies. You can kind of get away with it. In that manner. Right. I know this is a big problem for me. Is like time management and organization. It's like I'm I'm actually a pretty quick painter when I'm at my table. Yeah. It's mainly just like organizing my time. And the project as a whole that I, where I really get bogged down. So how do yeah. you manage that? Not that well. I'm a bit of a procrastinator, honestly. I, I do have my moments. So like I, when I do my marathons, like I did like four armies in a week or something like that. Like so, I booked the time off ahead of time. I said, okay, I'm gonna have three days off plus the weekend, so I got five days to do paint these models. Okay, what models do I want to paint? Okay, so I lay out all my armies. This is what I want to try and accomplish. Um, make sure everything is built beforehand. Make sure everything is primed. There's nothing worse. I don't know. I'd rather build everything, prime everything, instead of like, okay, I'm going to build and prime and paint this unit, then build and prime and paint this unit. I find that breaking up steps, like doing all your building, you already have your glue set, you have your knife, 
you got everything, you're in the mindset of, okay, you know, the, this goes together and models start going really fast. And you're like, okay, here's the mold line. Here's the mold line, that, 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 clean, clean, clean. Then you go to priming and you do batch priming, right? It's even better. You know, some areas, not a lot of people can prime indoors. You have to prime in your garage. So you're waiting for a day. Well, if you're going like build prime paint, well, then you might end up breaking your project over multiple weeks. So you don't have a good priming day. So get all of that done beforehand. And then pick your day that you want to, if you want to do a big batch of things, you know, pick your starting day, make sure you don't have anything booked, right? If you, uh, and just start and then start painting, go from there, take breaks, right? Like every now and then I, I'll paint a unit and then I'll get to a wash and I'll go, okay, this is going to take time to dry. I could start something else in the meantime, but I want a little bit break, right? My wrist is a little bit screwy sometimes. i uh, go from there. And like, if I'm doing 16 hours, sometimes I'll paint for 16 hours, quote unquote, straight. I'll take a nap, a two hour nap in between because it's like, well, it's a lot of painting in a row, right? It's easier to break it up into two eight hour chunks. Uh, but for general projects, if you're just uh, time management, like I said, I'm not that good at that. It's just try and paint when you can, right? Don't stress about it because if you're stressing about your painting, then you're not going to have fun painting. And even if you don't have fun painting, well, it starts dragging you down, right? Because it's, well, now this is a chore. Do I really want to finish this? Do I need to finish this? So some mental tricks there. Yeah, I think there's a bit of that going back to the, the expectation and what you want to get out of the process yeah. is important. Like if you're someone who isn't really super keen on the painting side of the hobby, it's like, well, scale it back to what's achievable. Mm-hmm. You know, you can start to enjoy the painting process because you just scale it back to what's achievable. Yep. You you achieve those milestones and you're like, oh, this is great. Like I actually have a unit on the table that's fully painted, fully based, multi-based. It's like, I think getting your first multi-based army like together yeah. is one of those moments you're like, oh, wow, yeah. maybe I am a painter. Yeah. And um, I also find if you're doing, like if you're going to be painting a lot or even if you're going to be coming back and forth to a model or two a day or something like that, I found that if I lay my whole army out of everything I have to get done, it actually negatively affects me, at least if I have it in my paint area. So I sometimes I'll set the army that I want to paint, I'll put it in my living room, and then I'll bring in a unit to my paint area at a time. So that way I'm not looking at, oh, I still have 200 models left to go. No, I have these 15 models on the bench, right? And as I do those, they go out, the next batch comes in, and you kind of break it down into that bite-sized, manageable thing. Yeah, you don't want to overwhelm yourself. Like, it is... Because, yeah, that can be discouraging if you like, be like, oh, I can paint a unit. Like 20 guys, that is manageable. It's not intimidating. Yeah. And then you can just kind of get it done. Yeah. And then even um, like if you want to do batch painting stuff, like Mantic models are kind of nice in this regard. Uh, They standardly have five body sculpts, about what, five to six arm sculpts, depending on the weapon, seven head sculpts. Uh, So, like, my Riftforge orcs were all painted separately, piece by piece, and then I glued it all together. Because there's so there's five Rift Forge Orc bodies. I just dry brushed everything, sprayed, uh, did a spray wash with a tint, and then dry brushed it back up. So there's five sculpts with five different sets of gold linings. So I took all the sculpts of each individual gold lining, and then that way I'm just doing I'm doing this. You're gonna start following. You're you're gonna know okay. There I got to do this, 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 and this, and you find your good process there, and then you go on to the next. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And most kits are like that. Like they'll have like certain. I know with like the Perry ones and for my Aurora, it's like there's similar kinds of surcoats, right? So you kind of just pair them up. You're like, they're not all the exact same sculpt, but they're like, oh, I need the same parts of each one. Is you know, I have to paint these ones yellow. I have to paint this armor. I have to paint this. And it's like, you can kind of like chunk it out into like like models. And that saves a lot of mental energy. Yeah. So what I wanted to talk about was like, so you can apply washes by hand, but you can also apply washes with the airbrush. 
Uh, they don't act the same. They act as more of a filter. But if you're doing metallics, that can kind of work in your favor. You still got a bit of the shading, and then you can kind of tint your metallics, and you can do interesting things with that. Like, that was uh, my Ogre Army. So it's all just giant, like, three-inch tall constructs all done up in almost like a tin bits. I was originally going to dry brush them, but I got, like, 40 of them, and I'm like, I'm going to kill my wrist doing this. Oh, yeah, so base coat them all that. Washing. If I try to wash each one of these individually, I'm going to go through three pots of wash. <laughs> if I throw it through an airbrush, it'll tint it. The I think I used the Agrax Earthshade. It'll still kind of get in the recesses and it'll kind of tint it overall and give it a nice brown look along with the gold. And it kind of ties it all together in a manner. So different ways to use similar tools. Yep. Just using something that you use all the time in a slightly different way can get a better result or a different result. You have to experiment and think about what you're doing instead of just doing it mindlessly sometimes. What do you see yourself as? And I think I know the answer. Are you uh, more of a painting competition, like a single model painter or like a tabletop gaming level of painter? I, I am a tabletop gaming level of painter. If I think if I went for it and properly sat down with one model and gave it over a week, I think I could do very nice. But in general, I'm satisfied and I like just, I like painting armies because I like the big cohesive look and I like getting a lot of models done. I, don't, I like the process of, okay, this is done. And, uh, you know, every three hours posting a unit done, got another unit done, right? kind of little little hits of dopamine there it's at once inspiring and demoralizing seeing an army grow hour by hour over the chat you're like what how is this man human specific chat with some of like my college buddies and like a, a different gaming group like they don't play kings they kind of play other stuff and it just fringe like malifaux and stuff like that and it's called like nathan spams you all with pictures and you like it and it's literally because it's like every three <laughs> hours sometimes i just picture picture oh here's three that, that, that. it's just it's a nice way to get it out and get reactions and stuff like that. And that gives yeah. motivation to keep going. And it, you know, it, it, that's also a good way to motivate yourself with a project is have a few people that you, you trust and that won't be annoyed by you yeah. spamming pictures for I, I, Like I have a few people that like, if I, when I'm painting, it's like, I like just share updates. Cause then you can get a little bit of like friendly criticism or like, it just keeps you going a little bit, just getting a little bit of positive yeah. reinforcement. It will pick up every time and, carry that all the way through the project so for like painting competitions so like i know a lot of tournaments do like do judge the whole army so i've seen all three so the first one i came to for you guys which was i think it was march or april i think that was april was brain of blood brain of blood okay john i think it was john teal in that one he did three individual categories so you had monster hero and unit that was a nice kind of way to break it down so maybe even if you're not even if you're an army painter, you can some you can put effort into painting a single model and being able to win a small prize from that is quite gratifying. Uh, then you go yeah. to Crossroads and you have the big army selections. And even those, like what was what ended up on the top 10 tables, like they were all beautiful armies. And then some of them were up there simply because of different reasons. Like maybe they hit a theme for somebody and it looked really cool, right? And so that was brought to the player's choice. And I think player's choice is a really good category. It's the army experience. Yes. As a whole, as opposed to like purely on a technical level. Yep. And then when you have individual categories, that's nice. Because especially when we're doing the one day tournaments, we want them to be a little more inclusive. Yeah. People can bring unfinished armies, right? Exactly. So you, your paint score is going to be a zero because it's not fully painted, and that's fine. But if you want to enter the painting competition part of it, yep. if you have like a fully painted, you know, monster or hero or whatever, you can be like, "Here's my like my entry," yeah. and you still kind of take part. And that brings into so like the third one was uh, we 
last October we did a special character tournament, right? We did for Halloween. Everyone had to print a, uh, paint a spooky ghost. That was the painting. The painting contest was judged on the spooky ghost. So that's kind of interesting because you can do a model that's outside the theme of your army. Maybe you want to try something vastly different that fits this special character, like either whether he is part of the theme or isn't part of the theme. And you, again, you're only having to paint one model, like one infantry model, and you could take that little bit of extra time, try something new with it, whether you want to tie it into your theme or do something completely different. I've been noodling on the idea for King Beyond the Wall 4. The theme is going to be the, the thing beyond the wall. Oh, okay. With the new rulebook, we have the build your own monster system. Yep. So we're going to have a build your own monster component to everyone's army. Oh, that'll be cool. So everyone gets to build their own Titan thing. Yeah. There'll be a painting competition related to that. And, you know, I'm sure Jesse Bilbia will break the system <laughs> and make the most disgusting monster. It's fun. It just adds that a little bit more fun to the whole thing as opposed to just like, it's not just about the army. It's like, you get to do this weird thing. Yeah. You make your own. Yeah. Like I'd love to see like a tournament with making use of like the army standard bear and giving like two or three like two or three options for army standards that give different auras. Or you have like something Rob does at Kings of Memphis. He has the bards. Yes. Right? So you have like this face melting guitar solo battles and <laughs> ever gets to paint up their own bards. And or you have like Dylan Scribner has King of the Monsters, which is like I may have taken some inspiration yeah, from for Think Beyond the Wall. <laughs> and the kaiju and they have at the dojo samurai showdown, you have your samurais. Like, I think that always adds a little extra fun because they paint up your army and you kind of bring it to the same few tournaments as as one thing. But now you have this thing that you have to paint extra. It's a single thing. So you can spend a little extra time on it and really explore like your hobby, which I think is a great opportunity. So what would be your favorite technique for painting i I am like ride or die on dry brush (laughs) like i still get a nice look especially depending how far you want to take it up your wash to bring it back down and a little bit more dry brush and you could do some really interesting and that's so like i mean i was dry brushing before i even got into this hobby used to paint like uh back when i was a kid little clay uh figurines and stuff at the local art store Mm -hmm. and dry brushing was the first technique they teach you because it's simple but you can take it up to a higher level, right? Yeah, I think a lot of people like poo-poo it as like it's a fake advanced technique, yeah. right? It's like it's like it's beyond just doing layers, but it's like you should eventually like stop doing it because it's like it's not yeah. quote unquote an advanced technique. But it's like you like you're saying, like the way you approach it can be different and you like so you have dry brushing and then as a subset of it you have like wet dry brushing which i know sounds contradictory but mm-hmm. right, for fire wet dry brushing can work quite well because you it gets rid of the streaky look of it and you can get some decent simple blends like i did that for all the swords on my aloha just yellow orange red and it looks it kind of meshes well and you go from there and then even dry brushing can get you by into osl right because you basically if you want to paint areas you just dry brush up your colors and go from there yeah it's like if you don't have an airbrush you can do you know zenithal highlighting or under dry brushing you can do it and then you can do that you know in a similar way with colors as well over the top it definitely is a very versatile tool and it's just a technique advanced good bad it's just a technique that you can use to achieve an effect there's no point and breaking it down our hobby should not be that cutthroat that we like all of the thought no it's if they're all techniques everyone's using it i'm sure like every artist like even in other art fields right that stuff does it look good yeah does it make it look the way you want it to and then yes or no and if it is then use it i think that's 100 percent valid do you use any other you know quote unquote advanced techniques that, that's fair like it I mean, you could always make the argument that advanced techniques are like ones that take longer time to learn. So we'll, we'll go along that thing. Saying that you can apply more skill to any technique to make it advanced. but I'm not going to lie. I haven't really taken the time to go delve that much further. Maybe like the closest would be edge highlighting. But even that, I don't think that's that much further. I've tried to do blending like with retarders and stuff like that. 
I just couldn't get the hang of it. I gave up, maybe got frustrated, never really went back to it. One thing I have been trying that I do want to do for an undead army was I started picking up oils. So I wanted to try mm -hmm. doing like an oil army as kind of a side thing because I think they're a really interesting medium because you can kind of do a lot of different things with them and a lot of easy blends with oils. They lend themselves very well to that. There's a lot of good YouTube video tutorials. And in some regards, it's easy. I think it's, it was described as being, if you've never painted with acrylics before, it's easier to start oils. But once you start with acrylics, it's hard to get into because it, they're two different processes. Like they, they work from different ends of the spectrum. So I think it'll be interesting and fun to do for Undead because you can do a lot of like the rotting flesh and stuff. You can get some really easy blends. I want to do that as a mostly Mantic Undead, but instead of uh, the standard Undead line, in addition, they have like their uh, the Dungeon Delve sets. They have some really interesting skeletons, like some armored stuff so i want to use those for revenants i think and go from there but yeah some nice rusted helms and stuff like that so or dungeon essentials i think it is because they have their okay. nice monster yep. line and then i know like one thing i've always wanted to try is nmm and i keep trying it and i don't know my brain just doesn't process the highlighting properly and it's it's one that is supposed to be easier to do in oils because you can get those blends so that's something i want to eventually try and work towards yeah, that's definitely something where you have to fully understand a light source, which yes. is tricky because as miniature painters, we often don't think too too clearly about what where the light is coming from. Yeah, for non-metallic metallic, you actually have to really think about a specific light source to create believable highlights that don't just look wonky. Yeah, that's something that is beyond my skills for sure. To wrap up, like, what would be some general advice for that you would give you know a hobby painter? For, for anyone just starting out, just paint. Just whether you want to go buy some like deep cuts, like some of like the two and three dollar miniatures that have some amount of detail, just go and paint, try, learn your things, practice, don't get frustrated, do it on a cheap model. So even if it doesn't come good, it doesn't matter. You don't want to, don't need to use it anywhere. And if you like something, how it comes out, incorporate it into your armor. You have multi base and throw it in there as a peasant somewhere or something, right? Like you're sure you can find an element to include it if it's a semi related miniature. Just keep practicing techniques. And uh, for anyone more, if you're finding you're getting to burnout, don't force yourself. Stop, walk away, maybe go work on a different project, or maybe even just go play some games. Don't force yourself to do anything. Because, yes, you can kind of force yourself and power through, but when it stops becoming fun or it starts becoming a drag part of the hobby, then it's going to drag down the entire rest of the hobby for you, right? You might not enjoy playing as much because maybe you're not enjoying how your miniatures are coming out because you're forcing yourself because you're going along, right? So just... Make sure you're doing it at a pace that you like and you enjoy. If you have people, other people in the hobby around you, hold like a paint night or something. And I've found I've got the least amount of work done at paint nights because I paint one model the entire night. But you have a good night of basically, uh, you don't have to drink beer, but you know, like beer and pretzels night kind of thing involving painting. And maybe you see someone doing something different. They're like, hey, I'd like to try that. Maybe they're doing something in a different manner that you normally thought of, right? Yeah, just even if you're not super productive on a model painting basis, yeah. like the inspiration and reinvigoration of your like your hobbies as and mojo is yeah. good. It helps. I just want to thank you for joining us today. Kick it off the new year with some uh, some motivation for all of us real procrastinators. I know you call yourself a procrastinator, but you're the one that got 13 armies done this year. Thanks for joining us. Do you have any shout outs for anyone you want to you know thank or call out for the new year? Uh, well, I, maybe a shout out to Crossroads. Looking forward to coming down to that again. We're going to try and I think we're going to drag Ben down to Adepticon, so that should be interesting. So see you there. Say hi. And thank you to you guys, you and John, actually, for running an amazing community. Like, you do a lot to get it. You get the tournaments going. You trade off to make sure that you guys aren't burning yourselves out on being TOs, right? And I think it's really great. You guys and the, you, Mark, Bruno, all the guys from Cambridge have been a good addition to the community. And I think, you know, it's it keeps growing and it's awesome. 
if you just if you're part of the community for one more year, everyone in the community will have an army to use at any point in time. So, <laughs> I mean, Ben's next. He's, he gets the next mystery army when I get around to that one. So, all right, that'll be us for today. And remember, until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 